You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Jesus is speaking and he says, And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity. I think that's happening now because of the roaring of the sea, which is a way to say confusion. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Everybody say shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up your room. No, I'm just kidding. Straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation, the one 2,000 years ago, will not pass away until everybody say, all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves. Lest your hearts, this is key, everybody say hearts. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness. Yes, your heart can get drunk, and we're going to talk about that today. And the cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape All these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. The word of the Lord. Let's practice something. I'm going to say the gospel of the Lord and you say, praise be to you, Lord Christ. The gospel of the Lord. Yes, that is what we should say after the gospel. Why? Because the gospel, the four gospels are the only way to read the rest of the Bible before and after it. The four Gospels are the only way to understand what we call the Old Testament scriptures and anything that comes from Acts all the way to that cardboard flap after maps in your Bible. You can't understand any of it. So we say different things when we read the Gospels. We say, praise be to you, Lord Christ, because Jesus is how we understand all of scripture. He's how we understand who God is in the Old Testament and in the epistles. And in that scary, actually very encouraging and heartfelt book we call the book of Revelation. Don't let John Hagee freak you out. There's no dragons and it's not an episode of Game of Thrones. It is the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ all through the book of Revelation. Why are we talking about these things today? Pastor, show me the nativity scene. Talk to me about Jesus' birth. I will in five weeks. But right now, I don't know about you. But I need to prepare myself for that because I'm not all the way put together. If you are all the way put together, please, you do not even need to be here right now. Head on out. Okay, I'm just kidding. Put anybody on the spot. Oh, wow, everybody stayed. Nice. That's good. I thought Sophia would run out, probably. Um, We need to prepare ourselves. And I want to start by saying this. I went on Friday to Battenfield's Tree Farm up uh, really close to where we have our uh, fall, our church uh, picnic in the summer. 
Instead of turning right, you turn left and you go to the tree farm. And we, uh, we well, I didn't this year because of my foot. I'm going to miss having a hurt foot. Anthony and my friend Josh cut down the tree for me and brought it to the car and put it in there, which I appreciated. I owe you all so much. Like I said, I hope none of you ever get hurt because I'm going to have to do so much work. <laughs> Maddie, don't hurt him. Wherever you are, Maddie, don't hurt Anthony. And I had to stay in the car because it was freezing and I couldn't go up the hill. Um, and so everyone was up there. And Jacqueline texted me and says, Sophia's really cold. Can she come and sit in the van with you? And I said, of course. And Sophia comes in the van, and she sits next to me, and we're listening to 92.1, and they're playing all the good songs that Jesus loves, and all of a sudden, it starts snowing unbelievably hard, like a squall comes through. So me and Sophia are sitting there listening to Christmas music together, just me and her, watching people carry their trees. There's a horse-drawn sleigh, like, going through the entire farm. Like, we're kind of up on this knoll so we could see down into, like, this little valley, and People are buying decorations, and they're tailgating, and there's fires going. And, like, it's, I'm like, this is what it feels like to not watch but be in a Hallmark movie. Like, this is amazing. I, you know, this is, this is fantastic. And then Sophia just, like, nuzzles on in, and she says to me, she's like, Dad, this is great. And the Holy Spirit did two things in that moment. One, he got my attention to not miss that moment because there's a lot of things on our mind as adults these days. We have all kinds of stuff going on. If you're, if you're in the ministry, this is a very busy time of the year. If you volunteer, this is a very busy time of the year. Uh, you know, we got at the Dandriana home, we have Theo, we have Sophia, we got plans, we have family, we have injuries, we have all kinds of things. And somehow the Holy Spirit stops me from thinking about work or thinking about home. And he's kind of like, you're just going to want to sit in this one and not think. Sit here with your daughter. Look at the snow. Look at the scene. And then the Holy Spirit says this to me. He says, what are you feeling? And immediately I start to feel sorrow. Because I know people this year who have lost children. I know people who have had homes burned down. And I start to think these thoughts. And I start to get agitated. And then I remembered something my spiritual director said to me in 2018. He said, what we want is for your soul to become so mature that you don't have to make a decision between two emotions. You can feel both at the same time. He said, immaturity is having to deny one emotion so that you can have another one. Like, this is supposed to be a good day. Let's not be negative. Or this is a really bad day. Nobody make jokes. Like, we deny one emotion to have the other one. And, and Brother Randy said, no, what, what Jesus had was a soul that was the size of a mansion. And his soul could hold all the emotions that exist because they're happening. And he said, it's immaturity when you have to decide between emotions. It's maturity when your body and your soul are large enough to hold multiple feelings. So I'm sitting there in a, like, I'm, I'm sitting in a snow globe as my, when I explained this to my mother-in-law, she just very poetically said, it's, it's, like, it's like you're describing a snow globe scene. I'm sitting there with my daughter, looking at Christmas trees, horses and carriages going by in the snow, and she's nuzzling on in, and I want to capture, I, I see you all with teenagers, I want this moment to last. <laughs> I, I love that she wants me right now. And so I just, it was, I was in love, like in ways that you can't ever imagine being. And at the same time, feeling this ache 
of all of the things that have happened. Like, I have friends, some in this room right now, who've suffered incredible amounts of loss this year. Jesus said that we can get drunk in our heart in that text. And there are so many things in that text that I would love to talk about, but that's the phrase that got me when I read it all week long. Our hearts are going to be intoxicated with something, whether we like it or not. You are all intoxicated. There's something that you are drunk on in your heart, and it's opening you up to some things, and it's closing you off to other things. You can all think about times that I know none of you have, but somebody you know maybe had tipped the elbow a little bit too much, maybe wet the beak a little bit, had a little of that eggnog with something extra in it, and you notice that they get more open to some things and completely unaware of other things. That happens as an analogy for what is always happening in our heart. We are all drunk all of the time in our heart. The question is, what are we intoxicated with? What is opening me to the things that I'm open to, and what is closing me to the things that I'm closed to? It's my intoxications. It's what I am getting dizzy on. The liturgical year that we begin today, this is happy new year for the church. We celebrate a new year before the world celebrates its new year because right now we're beginning to sanctify 2022 before the rest of the world gets there. Amen? We're praying blessings over the next five weeks. We're praying blessings. over. We entered 2022 first. And we sanctify it and we make it holy for the rest of the world when they enter it. Please keep that in mind. That's not weird. That's what happens. That's why Jesus can say, I'm already in tomorrow. What does he say in Matthew? Uh, Worry about today. Tomorrow has its own trouble. And Jesus is already there giving us what we need by the time we get there. He's sanctifying your tomorrow right now. And we're sanctifying the world's new year by sharing it first. But why the liturgical year? Because we need to detox every year from the things that we've gotten intoxicated with that are not Christ. We need to detox from it every year. None of us are so sanctified that we don't need to walk with Jesus from before womb to after tomb every single year. We need this practice. How many celebrate birthdays every year? How many celebrate anniversaries every year? How many love it when people remember anniversaries every single year? And all the ladies said, "Ah, you remember all of them probably, Grady. You're perfect. He's not goody. He's Grady. Thank you. Oh, my gosh, and amen. I could die and go to heaven right now. Praise the Lord. Um, we, we, in our own secular lives, we don't forget these things, and we get mad at other people when they do forget them. And then, and then when it comes to the Christian year, we don't have this organization that the church has had for like 1,500 years. Why? Because we, where do we get the idea of celebrating birthdays and anniversaries and milestones? We get it from the fact that most religions celebrate a yearly cycle of worshiping God. And so every year we celebrate Jesus' birthday. Yeah, and he, gee, I just realized that today, Jesus has a birthday month too. So let me apologize to everyone I've ever criticized for having a birthday month. I love that you're right there. <laughs> and Jesus does too. So maybe I should start having a birthday month. Everyone get ready for September because it is going to be wild. 
I'm born every day of September. We walk, through, we walk with Christ through his life every single year because we need to detox from some intoxications and we also need to drink down to the dregs the life of Christ and get intoxicated with him. So every year we start with before he's born and every year we end with after he ascended to heaven and sent his Holy Spirit, we walk through the whole life of Jesus every year so that we detox and get re-intoxicated with him and off of all of those other things that we drink down so easily. We will all forever live under the influence of a promise and a hope. It's just which one are we living under? Every one of us lives every day under a promise and a hope. And we live for that promise and for that hope. And I'm telling you, even as seasoned veteran Christians, if we don't discipline ourselves, that promise and that hope will be Jesus, and then it'll turn to something like Jesus, and then it'll turn to something that we're, we're pretty sure Jesus can get us. And before you know it, we're 180 degrees the other way, wondering, why don't I feel fulfilled? Why don't I feel happy when I wake up in the morning? Where'd my joy go? Every year, this liturgical cycle says, get back, get back, get back, get back on the road. I was intoxicated with that moment with Sophia. Who wouldn't be? It was magical. It was holy. It was something that imprinted. I won't forget that moment. We forget almost all moments, but there are some that just stay. That one's going to stay. And at the same time, I also felt ache. And I was reminded of Advent where we celebrate, celebrate Christ, but we celebrate Christ in hope. Everybody say hope. None of us really want to hope. Our body, left undisciplined, will try to accumulate what we need to not have to hope. Because hope means you don't have what you're longing for. I hope I get a record player for Christmas this year. I'm dead serious. I really want a record player. I feel like that's the next thing I need to be the classiest human being on the face of the earth. Right, Ant? Bing Crosby, but you hear that little crackle first? That's amazing. I hope I get it. I have to hope I get it, because guess what I don't have in my house? We don't want to hope, because hope means you don't have But Jesus is the blessed hope. Christianity is the, uh, is the religion of hope. It's us pining and yearning and wanting something. And we set up our lives. We set up our emotions. We organize the house of cards in our soul to not need to hope. So we want to be fulfilled now. But in that moment with Sophia, I went from ultimate fulfillment to deep ache and wondering like why is it fair that I get to do this and other people that are good people don't and I'm like God why and he said to me you're learning to hope hope means you don't have and then it dawns on me there are people who celebrate Christmas in such a way where they are using Christmas like it's uh, like it's alcohol or cocaine or some kind of narcotic that numbs you to the world. They're indulging in Christmas in a way to have to not hope. To not hope. To numb Christmas as Novocaine. To not have to hope. And, and I want everyone in here to celebrate Christmas this year in a way that creates beauty 
But that beauty has a void in it. Pastor, this is negative. It's not. It's what Jesus wants. Jesus doesn't want any of us to look at our life right now and say, I have everything I need. The world is exactly where it should be. And my place in it is exactly perfect. It's not how we should be feeling. Some of us avoid Christmas for the same reasons that some of us indulge in Christmas. We don't want to have to hope. Beauty makes us hope because every time we see something gorgeous, every time the snow falls at Battenfield's tree farm and you're holding your beautiful five-year-old amazing angel of a daughter, and, you, and then Jacqueline is coming down the hill with Theo, and I'm like, what did I do? This is too good. And it's like, you can get so intoxicated in that that you forget to hope that there's somebody aching, like Steve said today, so eloquently when he opened the service, and everyone was on time to hear it, which is amazing. And when Steve opened the service, I love you all, he said, I'm reminded of my blessings, but I'm also reminded of people who don't have them. He preached the sermon. Jesus says, be awake. And I want to I point this out. Juan Luis Segunda, a, a very famous and very uh, amazing uh, Latin American theologian, he said this, God reveals himself in a different light when his people find themselves in a different historical setting. God reveals himself in a different light when people find themselves in a different historical setting. So we read these apocalyptic verses of Jesus about the sun and the moon being darkened and the abomination of desolation, and all of our minds go to the craziest, probably the most worst, theologically broken things we've ever heard about those verses. And what it does is, whenever the devil gets us to purely focus on yesterday, or when we read these verses, purely focus on something that we think hasn't happened yet in the future, he gets us to miss today, and that's all he wants to do. Satan would love for us to be faithful tomorrow. Satan would love for us today to be more faithful to our tomorrow than we are to our moment we're in now. Because we will miss the Sophia moments. And I mean that literally. We will miss the wisdom moments of the day. We have to focus on today. Jesus says that we know the weather or the seasons. In, one, in Matthew, he says, when the sky is red, you know a storm is coming. In Luke that we just read, he said, when the fig tree blossoms, you know that it's going to be summer. And when it fades, you know that winter's coming. And he's essentially saying, why don't you understand? Like, you know how to name all the political things going on. You know how to name all the social things going on. You know how to name everything you love and everything you hate. But you don't know how to name me. You don't know how to name me. How can you understand, Pharisees, that you know when there's going to be a storm and you know when spring's coming? And keep in mind, this is 2,000 years ago before they had a Weather Channel app that's right half the time. Said it wasn't going to snow this morning, but I prayed. Because I'm dreaming of a white first Sunday of Advent. And God answered my prayer. I'm the only dork who does. I don't want it to snow on Christmas. I want it to snow on Advent week one. And God blessed me today. Take that, Al Roker. Anyway. He's delightful. He did a wonderful job in the Macy's Day Parade. Anyway, my brain can skip around a little bit like a record player. Somebody wants to get it for me. <laughs> Why can we name our political affiliations more than we can name 
the things Jesus told us this morning? Why are we more triggered by the things that we can see on our phone than we are by the things that move the heart of God? When we make decisions, I've never seen a time in my life, and I know it's only been 39 years, so if you're older than me, let's, let's sit down and, and have some coffee together, and let's talk about this, because I don't remember a time where people made decisions so fast, literally before they thought them through, let alone before they prayed or sought counsel. This is a season that instantaneous thoughts and decisions and opinions are being made, and we have lost our ability to contextualize the whole narrative of our life before we make a decision. Because we're intoxicated. That's what drunk people do. Drunk people make decisions immediately without thinking of any repercussions. We're doing that with our heart on a regular basis. We're allowing opinions and all kinds of decisions and and movements and impressions and discernment to happen immediately. And Jesus is saying, you know how to do this with everything. But why can't you do it with the things of the kingdom? And I'm sure it was true then. I know it is true now. We live in a world that has news that is breaking all around us. And I don't mean news that is happening in the moment. I mean news that is actually breaking things. News that is breaking our motivation. News that is breaking our courage. News that is breaking our positivity. News that is breaking the way that we love each other. And we are absorbed in it. We have that little glowing box that we can look at in the middle of the night. And and Jesus gives us a book And he doesn't give us a Twitter account where he's tweeting stuff because for the things of the kingdom, we got to detox. And we have to work through the things that Jesus tells us. They don't come in a headline. They don't come in a tweet. They don't come in a post. They come in a teaching, a discipleship, a lifelong journey. What do we do when we hear news? We either, we do one of three things, and please write these down. When we hear the secular news around us, here's what we do. We one, we, we may join it. We join the drama. We join one of the swings of what's going on. We pick a side and we join it and we go all in. And I'm telling you right now, I am not a centrist. I, my, my party is first and foremost Jesus Christ. And I have assaulted with judgment both political parties that are predominant in our culture. I have a whole bunch of Democrats in this room who think I'm way too Republican, and I got a whole bunch of Republicans in this room that think I'm way too Democrat, and I thank you for the compliment because my job is to critique the H-E double hockey sticks out of both of them and not let either of them off the hook ever because none of them are the kingdom of God, and none of them ever will be the kingdom of God. And so they deserve the harshest critique all of the time, all of the time. Some of us just join one side and then that forms the gray matter in our brain to make decisions about our jobs, our homes, our lives. And I'm telling you right now, Salem, hit the brakes for a moment during Advent. Hit the brakes. Stop. Don't turn on the news for four weeks leading up to Christmas. I'll I'll never say this again. Eat more food than you do watch TV. Advent is the season of feasting. You're allowed to eat a lot this season. Are you guys all dieting? First of all, how dare you? Second of all, why? 
do we want to just celebrate Lent right now? No. Feast on what you know about Jesus. Take this season, like Grady said, to be a child again and just devote yourself to the intoxicating reality that Christ has come, he will come, and he's showing up every single day of your life. And he is so humble that he will not push past the things you're looking at. He will just wait to be seen. He will just wait to be seen. He won't interrupt your TV show. He won't interrupt your inner monologue of you talking to your coworker and saying things in your car that you would never say to their face. He won't interrupt any of those things. He's just going to sit there quietly until you look at him because that's his character. He doesn't like to interrupt. He'll listen to our tirade until we're done. We either join it or we reject everything and become cynical. Nothing will ever be good. Nothing will ever satisfy. There's no fix to any of these situations. We can't fix this one. There's no point in trying because it's going to be so much work. And no matter what we do, someone's going to be mad on one of the other sides. And I just, you know, I'm either going to get COVID or I'm going to get the vaccine. Both of them are going to be bad. Pastor, this is so negative. I don't know what I'm going to do. We either join or we reject and get cynical or we ignore everything and literally have heard people say, I have heard people say, I just choose to pretend none of it's happening. <laughs> you have to be so intoxicated on something to be able to do that. Because whether or not you're pretending, it's happening. And it's affecting you every single day. So what do we do? First of all, this text is Jesus telling us how to navigate it. The text itself, don't ever read the Bible and look. We always say, what does it mean? The first question you should ask when you read the scriptures isn't what does it mean, it's what is happening. That's the first question you should always ask. Whenever you read any text of scripture, do not say what does this mean first. Say what is happening. That's the first question to ask. What is happening here is Jesus is recognizing that the religious and political and secular realities of the world are caving in and he's telling them to straighten up because I'm showing up through this melee. Don't look away from it. I'm coming through it. That's what he's saying. He, but the, the point there is that Jesus has a say in how he wants us to navigate the complexities and the disparaging realities all around us. Jesus is telling us how to navigate it. That may be the most boring yet profound moment of understanding this abomination text. It's not a, Pastor, what do you think about the end times? What is he really saying? Did that already happen? That's not even the point. The point is Jesus is telling people how to live when politics and religion are failing all around you. Jesus has a say in that. That's the first thing he wants us to know is that he's talking about it. Forget what it means. The first thing is that he's telling us how to navigate it. 
And it doesn't always have to be macro, like what's going on in Washington. It can be what's going on in your home, what's going on in your family. The sun and moon may be darkened in your home. The stars may be falling from heaven in your family, in your own view of yourself, in your self-esteem, in the way you process life. It can get so large. We could talk about the whole world. It can get so small as that one thought you had at the end of the day on Thanksgiving when everything was going well and you had one thought that just dropped the house of cards in your emotions and you lost it. All of that has to do with what Jesus is telling us here. You either join those thoughts, you either reject those thoughts, or you ignore those thoughts, and Jesus is saying no to all three of them. What does he tell us to do? He says when that starts to happen, when you can confidently assert that the world around you is falling apart, that your emotions are falling apart, that your marriage, that your children, whatever it is, God, the examples are annoying because we all know them. When it's caving in on you, what does he say to do? He doesn't say join how you feel and just indulge it. He doesn't say ignore it. He says straighten up. Straighten up and look at it. Don't join it. Don't deny it. Look at it long enough because I'm breaking through into your life through that. Look at if you if you join it, you won't see me when I show up. If you reject it, you won't see me when I show up. If you ignore it, you won't see me when I show up. But if you stare at it long enough, name it, say the truth of it, don't deny it, but don't get in bed with it either. Just say what is true and say it long enough, and then all of a sudden, contractions are going to happen, and Jesus is pushing through the darkness, and he will show up, and that's how we will see him. That's how we will see him, not by putting our head in the sand or saying yes to every, what would Timothy say? Any wind and wave of doctrine, be it religious, be it from CNN or Fox News, we just, instead of eating all of it, We look at it long enough to know that the Christ child is pushing his way through the birth canal of brokenness, and he's doing it in such a way that the birth canal itself will be made whole when it's done. It's Advent. I'm being gentle today. The tearing and the breaking, and the blood, and the groaning of childbirth, when Jesus is fully born, all of that is healed. Not, he doesn't just show up and get rid of that stuff. His showing up heals those things. Our job is to be people, listen to me carefully, who can name the sound of what we're hearing before it becomes sight. I'm going to say it again. Our job is to be people who, hear, who can name the sound of what we're hearing before it becomes sight. Everyone sees what is going wrong, but we hear something that is very right, breaking through what is going wrong, and our job is to tell the world what that thing is. Nay, what that person is. <laughs> who that person is. What his name is. How amazing the scent of him is how intoxicating his love for them is, and how not only is he coming through the brokenness, but his coming through it is also going to heal it. As a matter of fact, Psalm 25, 7. 
Psalm 25, 7, everyone should have this verse so underlined that you've bled through to pages before and after it. Remember not, has anybody ever made a sin in their youth? I, I'm, I swear you're lying to my face. You, 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 all you kids down there, sure you have. Thank you, Levi. Levi, I'm about to talk about you in a second. You did something amazing this morning. It's the conclusion of this message because you're a dope kid. All right. We say to God, you put your hands down. <laughs> it's like, yo, you're honest. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Listen to this. According to your steadfast love, remember me. What is that saying? We're asking God to look at us through himself first. You don't understand. We're asking God to look at our lives through his life first. That's what Jesus is asking us to do. He's asking us to look at our decisions, not through the context of our moment in life, but through his life. What does Jesus going to the cross say about the next decision I'm about to make at work, at home, with my church, whatever it is? What is Jesus receiving injustice and destroying it through humility look like for me in the decisions I'm about to make? We ask God to do that himself. God, don't remember me according to me. If you remember me according to me, I'm in trouble. Remember me according to you. And I know I'll be safe when you think of me. Father God, when you think of me through your act on the cross, I will be safe when you think of me. And I'm saying to you, Salem, when you process the next thing that happens in your life, don't process it through you first. Process it through your Savior who is always saying to you, come away with me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Some of you hear that and you say, that's not what I learned. This liturgical year, if you learned that his yoke is heavy and his burden is punishment, we're going to slowly, remember the game operation? We're going to slowly take that out and we're going to throw it in the sea of forgetfulness because it was wrong. We're going to do it gently. But his yoke is easy and his burden is light and he wants you to process your life and the life of uh, the people around you and the things that are going wrong through the idea that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. God makes us strong to declare breaking news for news that keeps breaking things. And he tells us to straighten up. Stare Goliath down in your life and also know you don't have to fight him. Stare at him, though. Ian and I were, were working through something downstairs with the renovation, and, and uh, it, a part of it didn't break the way we were hoping it, it would break, and something happened that was, like, really startling, and Ian called me, and he's like, hey, you're going to be frustrated when you hear this, but here's what the general contractor said, and I said, no, 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 we're not going to be frustrated. We're going to stare the giant down. We're going to name the truth of what's happening, and we're going to watch God provide for us. We're not going to avoid we're not going to ignore. We're not going to indulge. We're going to watch Jesus take care of his building. And at the members meeting at the end of January, I will tell you how he has, and it is miraculous. It is miraculous. 
stare down the thing in your face. Don't make a decision on it right away. Don't make a decision about it right away. Stare it down and ask, how does the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, what does Goliath say to David? You come at me with a staff, I'm going to feed your flesh. And what does David say? You don't see who I'm coming here with. I'm coming in the name of the Lord of hosts. Goliath, I am not by myself. You just can't see. But I'm here with a lot more than you can imagine. And then in Gethsemane, in Gethsemane, the place of Goliath, Jesus says, don't you know I could call 10,000 legions of angels? And does he? No. He walks into the darkness. Why? Because that's where he gives birth. That's what he comes through, the darkness. If we spend all of our Christmas avoiding hope, if we spend all of our Christmas avoiding the reality that there should be more, the void that we have in our life, we will not be looking forward to the second coming of Jesus. We will not be preparing ourselves for it. We will not be living a life of hope. The beauty should show the void more than anything else does. There should be moments like Jacqueline and I went crazy putting the lights on the tree because for some reason every time we put lights on a tree, I can't not see the gap where there's no light. And it drives me crazy every single year. I was talking myself down. People are going through real stuff in life, and I'm like, there's a gap of darkness in the Christmas tree. Like other people are like hoping where food is coming from, and I'm like, this is the worst. And it's like, we, whenever there's beauty, you see the gap. And that's how it's supposed to be. The light of God is supposed to shine on the darkness and say, that's where we need to go to work. That's where we need to minister. That's where, that's where a word of encouragement is needed most. It snowed a little bit this morning. And I texted our leaders, what are you sensing this morning? And Kerry Zrodlowski texted me back and said, here's what I loved about this morning. Almost said Theo. Levi ran into the living room, looked out the window, and was so excited about all the snow that was falling. And she said this in the text. She said, it was amazing to hear all the plans he had for such a little bit of snow. Yo. That is exactly Right. The Holy Spirit is the dusting before the big snowstorm. Paul says it in Galatians, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance, the guarantee, the first portion, the tithe, the first fruit, the dusting. And we, as the church, we live in a world where there's only a little bit of dusting and a lot of green grass, but to say it a different way, there's only a little Holy Spirit and a lot of brokenness. But when we see that little Holy Spirit, we should be the first ones putting on our snowsuit and getting our sled out because we know there's about to be 48 feet of snow on the ground and no one else knows it, but we're going to tell them, world, go get your sled because that dusting is turning into a snowstorm very soon. It needs to happen here first. We need to be like Levi and see the little bit of the Holy Spirit and know that there is so much more coming. Noah was supposed to tell people, get in the ark, destruction is coming. He didn't do a good job. We are supposed to tell people, go outside, look beyond the hills, Stare through the darkness. A flood of destruction isn't coming. God who makes all things new is coming. 
Restoration is coming. Reconciliation is coming. Healing is coming. And for most of us, it's going to happen in the process of death to new life. But everyone is going to be healed. Every sickness cured. Every injustice righted. Every murder taken care of. Every car accident with God right in the center of it. Handling it and saying, it's not happening the way you think it's going to happen. That is the truth of what we believe. And we have to be people who walk through Advent saying, I know there's only a dusting. I know you can see all the grass, but there is a snowstorm coming. And the knowledge and glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. It is going to happen. That is our job. The good news is not that one of the sides is going to win. The good news is that Jesus is going to heal both sides. The good news is not the side that you believe in the most is finally going to emerge victorious. Get that out of your thinking. The, the good news is that Jesus' hand is going to be on all sides. And he's going to make all sides new. He's going to make all sides new. John and Steph, you guys can come up as we get ready to come to the table. I just want to share this prayer from the Book of Common Prayer with you. It has a very powerful line in it. Ian, you can put it up. This is what you pray before you go to bed in the prayer book. Oh God, your unfailing providence sustains the world we live in and the life we live. Watch over those both night and day who work while others sleep. And here it is. And grant that we may never forget that our common life depends upon each other's toil. That our common life depends upon each other's toil. That your decisions and your life and your hard work matter to people who don't even know you. Never feel useless, ever. I've been reading a little bit of the, the book, A Christmas Carol Now. We kind of started, took out my Charles Dickens and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things he says is, a man is never useless who remembers the poor. A man is never useless who remembers the poor. When you work, when you feel like it doesn't matter, when you feel like nobody sees, know this. There is somebody who is nameless and faceless somewhere in the world, and your work is healing their life. And if we don't believe that, we haven't ascended to Christianity yet. That is the truth of what it means to be the body of Christ in the world. We are united in a way that can never be broken. And that bears responsibility when we work, when we live. You might not see these results in front of your face, but the world is being healed as you walk with Jesus. Nobody sees what it's like to raise the kids at home. Nobody sees what it's like to deal with that boss. Nobody sees what it's like to bear under the weight of a family that's falling apart. Nobody sees me. Nobody appreciates me. Listen, I'm telling you, there will be a day when you realize how powerfully accurate and amazing and fruitful that time in your life was for people that you will know then that you don't know now. Salem, we're healing the world with Jesus when we refuse to join or ignore, but watch the darkness better than other people do and know that he's coming through it. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Ron, can you carefully hand me? It's, it's a new chalice, and so it's, it's a little different than the other one, so just carefully. It's not heavy, but it's wobbly. Let me put it right here. Thank you. 
one of my good friends, JP, and his wife, Diana, actually purchased this uh, chalice for our church. And there's a Christian potter in, like, down the street from their house. And they said that they wanted to have him make us a chalice and a plate for the bread that we can have at the church for a long time just to say that they love us. And so I just think it's so amazing. It has the crown of thorns like all around the side of it and the plate says, this is my body, this is my blood. And they did it where it's like all the colors of the liturgical year kind of combined into one. And so I just thought that was so amazing that people care about us that way. So I just wanted to give them a shout out here. But as we get ready to come to the table, I want us to start to think about having a moment and not just coming up here and grabbing the bread and going back to our seats. Like, you can do that physically. But in your soul, have a moment with the Lord. This is his body and his blood becoming one with your body and your blood. Okay? This is a moment where Jesus is saying, come and sit down at my, come sit down a while. You who are weary and heavy laden, come sit down. Let me remind you by feeding you that my spirit is always with you. I know what you're going through. You might be in the midnight hour right now. But God wants us to know that the midnight hour is the midnight hour because at midnight, the day changes. And if you feel like you're in the midnight hour of your life, that means that the situation has changed before you can see that it has. Because he wants us to claim it and say it with our mouth before we can see it with our eyes. Not to make it happen, but to heal those around us. That we can speak better news than the news that we're hearing. So much more is happening in your life, Salem, than you realize. So much more healing is happening in your life than you realize. So much more anointing is on you than you realize. And this meal helps us realize it. And so, Heavenly Father, on the night when you were betrayed, you took this bread and you held it up and you said, this is my body broken for you, pushing through the darkness for you, making life happen where there is no life, making light happen where there's only darkness, making understanding happen where there's confusion. I am pressing through the brokenness so much that I'm broken. And I'm doing it for you, for your life, for your generations, for the things that have happened, are happening, and are yet to happen. I've done it for all of that. And he broke the bread, and he gave it to the disciples. And then he took the cup of wine, and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. You no longer have to wonder if I delight in you. My delight in you is the thing that heals you. It's not the thing that goes away when you mess up. It's the thing that picks you up off the ground when you make a mistake. My delight doesn't get less when you make a mistake. My delight gets more intense when you make a mistake because it's what lifts you up off the ground. This covenant is only ever going to forgive you. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would descend on this bread and this cup and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and the drink of new and unending life in him. And sanctify us also, 
that we may be for the world of darkness that we're about to walk out into, the body of Christ, the people who share a better word, the people who can see through the darkness, the people who know that something is pushing through, causing all of the waves and the tumult and the dissipation and the, and the anxiety. It's because Jesus is shaking the snow globe and beauty only happens in the snow globe when it shakes, everybody. And so as it's shaking, beauty is happening. And our job is to call out that beauty. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Receive them in faith and nourish on them in your heart. And know that this is bread for the journey. If you wish to come and receive the bread from me, this side of the room can come down this side. This side of the room can come down here. If you feel more comfortable, the ushers have already handed out communion. Let's come to the table of the Lord together. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.